0: Lucas and Vincent were not in the mainstream of gay life.
1: I was saving
0: body parts such as uh, skulls. Doesn't it bother you that he's a bag?
1: You have done me a great service. Now I must service you.
0: The drugs... We're we're always a, a cry for attention, for somebody to pay attention to me before I, you know, kill somebody.
1: You can imagine what it smells like if you go into a closed room. Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. Buckle
0: up, Sodomites, and welcome to the Sinister Sissies Podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man-on-man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, and I'm staring at the beautiful bleach-haired face of oh, my filthy little it.
1: slave, Sam Hamilton.
0: Thank you, master. Uh, I was actually thinking you look quite beautiful blonde.
1: today. Oh. Uh, I am. I was actually thinking, yeah, Jared's looking very cute. Look at his his white smile of <laughs> a tight, form-fitting tee on. The hair's grown to tight? a good length. It's all happening.
0: Everything's tight on me at the moment because I've still got the COVID kilos. I've kind of I've bulged out.
1: Well, I meant it complimentri- complimentarily, If that's even a word.
0: Okay, I'm getting buff. I kind of I I always secretly want to be one of those. You know those guys that are just like massive, like like a wrestler. I just want to do that, but Look, for like, I like one those day. Guys. For one day, I want to well, know what it feels to be that big.
1: You keep working, Daddy, and you'll get there.
0: So today's episode is on, and it's a very requested episode, uh, it's on the serial killer Dennis Nilsen, who killed at least 12 men and boys, uh, but possibly as many as 16, and attempted to murder many others. Uh, now I don't know about you, Sam, but did did you notice when you were researching Dennis Nielsen um, that there were incredible parallels to pretty much every other serial killer that we've already done? Like, I yes, like we...
1: I was thinking there were a lot between Dharma and also um, Gacy. Yeah. It's, it's a Just in terms of like victim disposal, the way victims were selected, the ritualistic sort of aspects of some of the murders. Even victim type, like they always go for the Twinkie boyish ones. Well, this is good for us. We're too old to be killed by a gay serial killer now. So It's
0: true, but uh, can... what I figured out from here, and it'll be a theme for this episode, is um, we, we may have some commonalities with some of these serial killers, because just like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, Dennis Nielsen um, was characterized by excessive alcohol consumption. Uh and yeah, an attraction to twinks, uh is what I'll say. <laughs> um so well, there might I'm be... more of a
1: daddy fiend myself, but I maybe, you know, maybe a few too many Beverinos have have hit this mouth.
0: Um also I as I was researching this and I haven't watched it because I didn't want to spoil my interpretation, um, it's very topical because there's a new mini series about Dennis Nielsen. Um also known as Dez Des. Des, yes. Um, with I am blanking on his name. What is that I actor's name? I think it's name? David
1: Tennant. David Tennant. Is it David Tennant? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The guy who played Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, Speaking
1: of daddies, much more attractive than the real life Dennis. No offense, Dennis. That's true. I but mean, I'm maybe also... not in the role. I haven't seen the series, but he's a handsome also, man. And Dennis kind is of David Tennant is he handsome? I don't know. I think so. Okay. Personally.
0: Uh, so, very topical, uh, and you might want to watch that show after you've listened to this episode because I've heard it's very stylized and fictionalized and not very accurate. So, let's start on the early life of Nielsen. Um, he was born on the 23rd of November, 1945. Uh, oh, it's almost a happy birthday for him. Um, in, I'm going to muck this up, this Scottish town. Fraserburgh, Aberdeenshire in Scotland. Um, the early that life of... possible. Aberdeenshire, Aberdeen. I can't do this. A... Can you do a Scottish accent? It could exist. Uh... No, I can't. That's good. Yeah. Say, say the town. Ab- Aberdeenshire. 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 I don't know. His family life compared to you know by by serial killer standards. His childhood was, was pretty good. His, his parents didn't get along and argued a lot. His father was quite distant, uh, quite distant. Um, his, his father ended up abandoning him at some point, and this happened right around the time of another very tragic um, aspect of his life um because he he was very very close to his to his grandfather
1: yeah and his grandfather i think had a heart attack while he was at work on a ship on halloween 1951 am i getting that right anyway it was uh, halloween that sounds 9. about right yeah
0: because it was around when nielsen was six um and that seems to have had an incredibly dramatic effect on him even at a very young age I th- Part of this weird psychology that he often brings up later on is that when he asked his mother what was happening um, and because he saw his, his dead grandfather's body, his mother's explanation is that he went to sleep and disappeared. Um, See, this is
1: why lying to children to like cushion the blow for certain things just isn't good. This yeah. was the, this was like the origin of his... Fantasies that turned into murderous fantasies It is though because
0: it's, it, it's this weird thing where he had this association of And this is coming from This isn't my kind of amateur take This is coming from the forensic reports Is that um, two things were settled at this point point. One was this idea that everyone abandons you And there was also this kind of romantic idea of death That I think played a role um, in his life
1: Yeah, well, I think he talks about a fantasy that he had when he was a child, I think around six as well, where, like, he almost drowned and, like, the spirit of his grandpa almost, like, came to, like, take him with him and, like, protect him in heaven or something like that. So, yeah, there's this this fascination and romanticization of, like, peaceful death, I guess. And I think
0: this quote, um, this is a quote after he's been captured from prison where he was talking about his grandfather's death and he said, uh, relatives would pretend that he had gone to a better place. Why, I thought. Should he go to a better place and not take me with him? So death was a nice thing, I thought. Then why does it make me miserable? So this weird, yeah, like a romantic view of death as an escape, as something that is kind of a release. Um, I mean, I again... This experience is an unusual experience. Lots of people love their grandparents and then they die. But I think the way that he rationalized that um, is something that stuck around in his head for for quite a long time. Um, a lot of my notes in this area for various points in Nielsen's life, I have the subheading of weird sex
1: stuff. <laughs> so Well, there's plenty of that.
0: That's my slight trigger warning that we're getting into some... Uh, Awful, problematic sexual
1: matters here. We're definitely going um, to the assault arena right now. Yeah.
0: So uh, when when Nielsen was in, he was going through puberty at about thirteen. He realised that he was gay and he, he had attraction to these these other boys um, at his school. Um, his sister apparently had similar features in his mind um, to the boys that he was attracted to at school. And so to kind of test out his sexuality, he sexually assaulted his sister. Um, And then from that thought that, oh, well, I must be bisexual because I did that to my sister. Um, He
1: also... I think he tried it with his brother too, but maybe just once with the brother. Whereas it sounds like a more
0: recurring thing with the sister. With the sister, yeah. So the older brother was passed out and he kind of fondled him when he was passed out. Um, And this was his... I guess, way of exploring his sexuality. Um, and it, it victimized um, his family members as he was going along. But but generally, you know, he was quite ashamed about being gay and he wanted to repress those desires. Um, and so what better to repress your homosexual desires than to join the army? Um, <laughs> so Nielsen uh, joined the army. He joined the army uh, Catering Corps. As a chef, because that's apparently something you could do. Again, some weird sex stuff. I mean, actually, this isn't actually that weird in terms of sex stuff. He avoided showering uh, with the other soldiers because he was worried he about didn't want to get direction. a bonbon. Yeah, um, which you know we can all relate to that. Definitely was staring at the the, the gym walls whenever we were changing clothes, trying to repress Let those him see urges. I say. Maybe yeah. not as a
1: teenager though.
0: Look, not all shower scenes are quite like fear-no-evil level uh, (laughs) homoeroticism. As well, at this point, because he was having homoerotic fantasies about his fellow soldiers, used to have this fantasy of him passing out. Because they would all get, you know, shit-faced drunk because they were all 18-year-old soldiers. They'd all get drunk and pass out. And he had this idea of he would be passed out and the soldier would fondle him. So his initial fantasies weren't being this dominant figure. It was him being the submissive one and being fondled by a soldier, which it was just interesting how that that kind of flips.
1: Although I think I did read, though, that the the origin of this fantasy was it was reversed when him and another soldier got drunk together one night and nothing happened, but he was, like, watching the soldier, like, I guess, passed out and, like, thinking about... He started making an attachment towards, like could I do something or like, and I guess that eventually stems to, can I do things when someone's dead?
0: Yeah. And we saw this with Dharma as well. So is that, so Dharma, Dharma was, it was a little bit different in that Dharma was actively drugging men um, so that they were unconscious. But I think that there is some similarities in these fantasies where uh, people that move about and are animated are too complicated um and so there is this 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 eroticization of this passive body um that you just stare at it doesn't move it can't hurt you um and and that's your kind of safe way of dealing with, with your sexual shit um which again yeah. is not me is not me trying to be sympathetic i'd just me trying to kind of understand how that might work in someone's head
1: Look what Jared did say, you know, there were some commonalities between us and and Dennis, not that. so you know I'm I'm i my this alarm bells bit. are
0: going off. Not this bit, not this bit. I like an active participant. <laughs> <laughs> In nineteen sixty seven, uh, Nielsen was deployed to the state of Aden. Now we, we, did you read this part, Sam? Because I was not aware this... that there was the so the state of Aden is formerly is now known as yemen i I didn't get too far into the politics of this, but i the the gist that I got is that it's one of these classic things that was formerly a a British colony, and then there was a civil revolt against the colonizers um in this kind of Arabic country, and that yeah created a a, a more you know probably Islamist state that that currently exists um but
1: whatever whatever the political climate uh some really bad things happened to him there i guess that including a head injury another commonality of other serial killers that we talked about he was struck over the head and kidnapped by a taxi driver at one point
0: yeah so this is this happened soon after his deployment so i'm assuming the british soldiers were resisting the civil <laughs> that the people try to get rid of the colonizers. Um and so yeah, like, I don't know
1: what he was there doing. So st- I'm, I'm it included, sounds like but... shady
0: shit. Anyway, um mm-hmm. so it was quite violent as well and some of his uh the fellow soldiers that were stationed there had been killed. As you said, he got kidnapped by this taxi driver and he managed to fight back um and ended up locking the taxi driver in the boot of the taxi and then leaving. And so there is an interesting question as to whether or not this Arab taxi driver was Dennis Nielsen's first victim, because he seems to assume no one would have come to save that guy who he locked in the back of a taxi. Um, I
1: actually never thought of that. That didn't even occur to me.
0: Yeah. Well, he, he quotes later on where he was kind of telling up his victims and he was like, Oh, maybe 15, like you, you can maybe add one <laughs> to the, to the, to the bunch. Um, so, this obviously um, was had a major impact on his life. Again, head injuries, always got to keep that in mind in terms of impulse control, and that does play into the narrative a bit about how this kind of stuff escalates. Um, when he was stationed, um, I believe, in Berlin, he uh, had his first experience, sexual experience with a female sex worker um, and he described it as depressing because he was a very much a gay man. Um, he also had his own room um, when he was stationed at this point, And that's when he started to play around with these fantasies of a limp body. That was, that was what he was kind of playing with. And in fact, he used to set up a mirror in such a way that his head was cut off and he could just look at his like limp lying down body and that got him off interesting it's interesting this kind of stuff of, and i'm like do all these people now just get like sex dolls like i'm assuming people have these similar sexual fantasies like
1: but also i assume it would be easier it would be easier in 2020 to act upon those fantasies even if it was in a consensual non-murderous way yeah because i think back back in this era even getting with a man would be difficult yeah. Even sourcing someone to have, like, say, fantasy play with would be hard. So I guess his reflection is all that he had.
0: Uh, Nielsen's military career ended up uh, ending in 1972. Um, he was fairly successful as a military officer. He reached the rank of
1: corporal. This was almost, yeah. So he left the military in 1972. And in this kind of bridging period where he was trying to figure out, like, what am I doing with my life? What's my next step? Um, him and his family ended up watching a documentary about gay rights. It stirred a lot of controversy at the dinner table and his brother ended up outing him. So he never yeah. ever spoke to his brother again and from this point on only had very limited contact with his mother. So this is kind of when Dennis became like truly isolated, moved to London on his own, started pursuing his career in policing and I guess things went downhill from there.
0: Yeah, so yeah, he he became uh isolated um and as you said he started working as a police officer and he had these short stints in various careers so he he was a police officer and then he was a security guard and then he ended up being a kind of um like public servant but for um it was like like a job seeking agency like a job center organization and he ended up being very successful in that like he he um, was well-respected and he worked quite hard at this job centre. Whilst in London, Nielsen um, uh, began exploring his sexuality a bit more. He'd started to casually hook up with a bunch of men. Um, he found it ultimately quite unfulfilling. There was also a brief period of time where he had something of a relationship for about a year and a half um, with a guy named David Callahan. Um, But even then... They lived together and they were semi-a-couple kind of, but they were sleeping with other people and didn't have sex themselves a lot, so...
1: Yeah, definitely sound like a bit of some superficial companionship type. Because I think that they met and they moved in together within like a week or something. It was like a very quick sort of dependent relationship that formed. Um, So, uh, yeah, and it wasn't very sexual. And it's
0: very strange because um, throughout this, I keep seeing situations where... Uh, Dennis Nielsen's m- met someone in a pub and convinced them to to go back to his place, type thing. Um, but then all descriptions that I hear of him are that he's not a charismatic person. He's very reserved. He's very shy. Um, and so I I don't know what it is that that makes him so alluring. It's, he he wasn't particularly attractive
1: either. Like it's I I
0: don't know Wait, what he was the, like the, the sweet old lady is. on
1: the bus. Maybe he was just, you know, he was just kind of shy and unassuming and unintimidating. He probably seemed like someone, he probably had the demeanor of someone that would be completely harmless and kind of like, oh, okay, why not have that drink?
0: Yeah. And maybe like a bit pathetic. So you kind of like, oh, all right, I'll have a drink with you. Like it's not a, yeah, he kind of lured people in.
1: But also he seemed to, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but a lot of his victims seemed to be transient or in some state of distress.
0: They were vulnerable. So I don't know yeah. if he
1: just was able to hone in on those dark souls, and they were able, they like had like a that dark soul, we get each other thing.
0: Yeah, and that may have been the case as well with um, David Galichan. Um Eventually, though, the the relationship uh, broke up. Um, Galachan ended up leaving, um, and so by 1978, uh, Nielsen was 33. He was living alone. Spending a lot of time at his work, and then spending his nights just getting drunk and and listening to music. And this was the bit that I was like, "Fuck, that's me. <laughs> it's my well, life." As long as
1: your loneliness doesn't turn deadly, we'll be okay. I don't I I don't here. Here. like it. Please don't, please don't kill me. I am here with a listening ear.
0: Look, he's thirty three. I got one more year until I'm peak Nilsson.
1: And like, I don't want to be rude to, I don't want to be rude to the deceased. But you have a lot more going for you than he did. I mean, I don't have to feel bad. Do I have to feel bad thing? Anyway. No, we can you, insult him. <laughs> you've, you've, you've got things going on, Jared. It seems like he was very much like... Nothing that's, else. That's my yeah. analogy for just like on the road to nowhere. It's in this isolated state um,
0: that the psychology shifted in its, in its distinct way and Nielsen began his murders. All of uh, Nielsen's murders occurred at his home. Um, and he had two different uh, addresses. One was at 195 Melrose Avenue, and the other was at 23 Cranley Gardens. And I mention them because they've kind of become these these infamous landmarks that people go to. Um, Dark tourist hotspots. Yeah. And I think one of the... I can't remember which one. There was one that was up for sale fairly recently, um, which again i totally buy it
1: i <laughs> i actually have no aversion to living in a house where a murder happened but reading the graphic descriptions of these murders knowing that the bodies were like stored underneath the floorboards another yep. common thing that serial killers seem to love doing um i just i don't i don't think i could if i got a whiff of something that smells like even the slightest bit suspicious i'd be like i'm out
0: that's true That's true so the first set of murders occurred at 195 melrose avenue nielsen's first victim was 14-year-old Stephen Holmes, who he killed on the 30th of December, 1978. Nielsen met Holmes at the Crookerwood Arms pub, um, where Holmes, being only 14, was trying to purchase alcohol and he couldn't get it. I think Nielsen thought he was about 16 or 17. He didn't think he was 14. Yeah, I
1: think he said 17.
0: Yeah, but I again, I don't trust these fucking people. That like, maybe he knew he was 14 and he's just a piece of shit. Um, Nielsen uh, had already been drinking heavily that day and had actually stumbled down to the pub just to make some poor effort to, to be social. Um, he invited Holmes back to his house on the promise of booze. They both got very, very drunk and Holmes passed out. Um, When Nielsen woke up, he found Holmes passed out on his bed. And after caressing his unconscious body, Nielsen um, was just felt this compulsion to keep uh, Holmes there. So he strangled Holmes with a necktie before drowning the teenager in a bucket filled with water.
1: You know, one thing that all these murders like really has like solidified with me is how hard it is to actually strangle someone. Because, you now in movies, it's always, like, 10 seconds in, like, uh, ah, ah. And he always has to strangle them unconscious, and he has to drown them in the bathtub. There's Someone's some... don't die. It's, like, a real effort.
0: There's some pretty nasty ones later on here of him trying to strangle people and then realizing that they're not dead and then trying again and then trying again. Um, yeah, I... It's as easy
1: as you think, folks. I, I think
0: just... It's particularly strangulation, I just don't think, is a very um, effective way of doing it. After... Nielsen uh, killed Holmes. Uh, he washed the body, caressed it, and masturbated over the body. He's very insistent that with none of his victims, he never sexually penetrated any of them. It was always that they were naked, lying there, and he would masturbate over them, like they were kind of like a trophy for him.
1: Yeah, he he, he said in his own words that they were too perfect and beautiful for commonplace sex.
0: Yeah, which is—it's an interesting way of thinking of his mindset. Again, it's this romantic, romantic idea of death and, and and
1: preservation almost.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Nielsen stored Holmes's body under the floorboards in his
1: house during which he'd take him out after about a week, give him a little wash, you know, I guess bring him out for a little bit of a—I don't know—a display a play, and then I think he just put him back in.
0: Uh, and the body remained there, for Eight months before Nielsen burned them in a bonfire behind his house, Um, and this was a was a great degree of efficiency that he had at one nine five Melrose Avenue. um, That ultimately, when he moved, ends up being his downfall. Having this bonfire that he could set up out the back was very efficient for him to get rid of the bodies.
1: Yeah, he even had like a technique where he like put like a tire on the bonfire to kind of mask the smell of the burning flesh. Yeah, he had a system.
0: It would be nearly a year after his first victim that Nielsen would attempt to kill again. On the 11th of October, 1979, uh, Nielsen met Hong Kong student Andrew Ho at a local pub and went uh, and took him back to his house on the pretext of sex. Nielsen uh, attempted to strangle Ho who ended up escaping the residence. He reported the matter to police um uh, however, after Nielsen was questioned, Ho then dropped the charges. We're gonna see this if a couple this happened, of times. Yeah, yeah, this
1: happened with Dharma when the guy escaped, went to the police, he was like, Oh, it's my boyfriend, we'll sort it out ourselves, then killed him. I mean I guess that- I guess this guy's lucky in that he actually got away, right?
0: yeah that put the Dharma case that one was particularly egregious because that guy had already had like a drill and he's like and he was naked and, yeah um yeah. but th- there's definitely an occasion here where the police had very clear indications that Nielsen was a predator and didn't follow it up. so the fact that Ho didn't decide to press charges is kind of understandable. He was like I just had a weird encounter with a guy, um but that didn't mean that the police had to be like oh, all right, sort of cool. We don't have to deal with it. It's, it's, and you saw it similarly in the Dharma case and a couple of other cases where I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's active homophobia or active prejudice, but I think it's, um, they're, they're more just relieved that they don't have to go into this icky gay thing unless they really have to. <laughs> like it's, Which it's, one could it's...
1: argue is homophobia, but
0: you know. Yeah, I, that's, that is correct. Right. um but i think i meant more that it's not more like screw these gays fuck them i want them to die it's this yeah it's more other... like
1: oh i don't want to deal with that i don't i don't understand it's it. like yeah. too gross
0: yeah and and i think that 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 hinders the investigation and we're, we're gonna see this a couple of times um where the police could have been more proactive
1: ready to pop the question.
0: and they weren't on the 3rd of december 1979 uh, nielsen would kill again he met 23 year old canadian student kenneth ockenden and offered to show him around various pubs in um, in the area uh, he eventually ended up inviting him back to his home Ockenden was strangled to death with the cord from Nielsen's headphones whilst listening to music Nielsen stripped Ockenden's body and took photos of it in suggestive positions with a polaroid camera he then wrapped the body in plastic and placed it under the floorboards and did he also
1: use the same headphones to like have a jam himself like I think, didn't he like then use the guy's headphones that he'd used as the murder weapon to like? Oh, and listen, listen to, to music.
0: Yeah, oh, often after the kills, and it's kind of, it's, I'm assuming this is repeated in the the new Des movie um, all the time because it's a very evocative image. Often after he'd kill people and and place their body under the floorboards, he would often listen to music on his headphones and drink his like whiskey in this defiance, and I'm I'm. I don't know what type of music he enjoyed, but I'm I'm picturing this, like, classical orchestra as he's he's sipping away. Yeah, like a Hannibal vibe, but who knows? Probably, I don't know, 1979. He might have been a Sex Pistols fan. We don't know. It would be uh, incredibly arduous to go through every single one of Nielsen's victims because he was so prolific um, but just to give you an idea of uh, the extent of his murders after this point in the uh, Melrose Avenue home, he killed a 16-year-old homeless runaway named Martin Duffy in May of 1980, strangling him and then, dr- and then drowning him in a sink. Again, he repeated his behaviours of masturbating over the body, um, storing it initially in the cupboards, of his house, then in the floorboards, and then it was eventually burnt on the bonfire. He killed 26-year-old William David Sutherland in 1980. Again they met at a pub and he invited him back um, with the promise of more alcohol before strangling him. Uh, A further four victims were killed in the late 1980 period but were never identified. The assumption is that many of them were homeless young men. The final victim of just this address um, is 23-year-old Malcolm Barlow, um, who Nielsen met in September of 1981. Um, and this is a particularly tragic case. Um, so Nielsen yeah. left, left his house and he saw Barlow slumped against a wall um and he Nielsen essentially offered to help so it turns out Barlow because of his epilepsy medication that had left his legs weak and he couldn't walk so Nielsen invited him back to his house and actually called the ambulance and actually called for help and Barlow went to the hospital and he's got his medication fixed up um and then he returned to Nielsen to thank him um and ended up having drinks with him in celebration um, and again the pattern repeated itself uh, Barlow got so drunk that he passed out on the sofa uh, Nielsen then strangled Barlow as he slept before stowing the body um, beneath his kitchen sink and then under the floorboards yeah.
1: um, it's, it's definitely it's definitely a more tragic murders it's like someone actively trying to be a good person and then also it's interesting is it did, as in the victim actively trying to be a good person by thanking yeah. Dennis. Yeah. But also it's interesting that Dennis was able to, you know, it wasn't just like he saw like a beautiful young boy and like had to kill him. Like there was some, you know, he was, he, he had some line that he wouldn't cross.
0: So this is this strange thing. Cause when he describes these 1980, 1981 murders, he talks about the fact that often after he would killed them, he'd burst into tears um, and he'd be really distressed about what he did, but then he would repeat the behavior. And so this is this area where I'm like, well, it seems like it's very impulsive and it's become this thing where this desire has overtaken him and he's not able to have some sort of impulse control, which goes back to all of the stuff that we talk about in terms of head injuries that, I don't think you can blame low impulse control on murder. Someone still needs to have the desire to murder. But if someone has this strong desire to murder, maybe not having that that impulse control um, is a factor in that people are more likely to act on impulse, attack, do these things, and then actively regret it soon after. Um, and that, that seemed to be what was happening. So th- there was an issue at this point, though uh, in terms of storing the bodies under the floorboards um, he wouldn't regularly bring out the bonfire and often the bodies would stay there uh, for months and rot away Um, and this is what Sam was talking about before about they would often be found quite decomposed and and there'd be maggots um, and he would try and cover the smell with like deodorant and stuff yeah, he got
1: de- he got bug he got one of those things like i think one of those bug bomb type things and also yeah like deodorant for the floor but it wasn't enough reading about that i was like Ugh! just imagining yeah. like the pungent smell that he like you know think about how bad it is you know, passive in, in the sink for three days and, and then, he didn't then, like then, that know. either so it's
0: it's he uh he's although nielsen's often described as a necrophiliac he and this is a, this is something that makes him different than dharma i think dharma was more accepting of the decomposition process nielsen um if you think of what he's after he's after that pristine young body that he has um that as soon as decomposition happened he was disgusted and he hated that whole thing and he was trying yeah, to get so it over and done with i think that's um, why he
1: liked to periodically bring them up clean them you know try and preserve their beauty I think the one that he, the boy that he strangled with the headphones, he brought him out like four different times, I think, and said that he was like one of the, I think that was the one he described as being the most beautiful. Um, Yeah. Don't quote me on that. But basically, he liked to keep them clean for as long as possible, and then eventually it would reach a point where they didn't serve the need anymore, I guess. And
0: he had, I think, two or three bodies stored up that he eventually ended up, uh, burning in a, in a huge bonfire at the back of his place and he actually talked about the fact that neighbor kids came and watched the bonfire as he was burning the bodies and oh, obviously God. none the wiser about what he was doing um so they were the bulk of uh, nielsen's kills at 195 melrose avenue um because his landlord eventually wanted to sell the place uh and he was renting nielsen then had to move uh, he, he eventually moved to 23 Cranley Gardens. And this move is crucial um, because there were heavy restrictions after Nielsen moved to this address in 1981. Um, for one thing, it was... It's this weird thing that we have in the UK where it was essentially like an attic was the house, was the flat, right? Like, it wasn't a um, a... proper separated apartment um it was he was in the attic of someone else's house that they've subdivided down because the uk's you know um got it's very very tight space um and the key consequence of of living in an attic though is that you can't store things underneath the floorboards because someone's living there um and so that that was the first heavy restriction that he had he also did not have a garden at
1: the back at the back yeah, so he had to start flushing. I think he did this from time to time at the other address, but I think with this one, the main way he'd get rid of body parts was he'd like boil the heads and stuff like that, try and make it easy to he could separate the skin, get the brains out, and just flush it down the toilet.
0: He was um, very restricted, um, and I'll we'll get to the the nitty-gritties of it when um, when we're talking about his first victim at this address. So in March of 1982. Nielsen met 23-year-old John Howlett at a pub. He lured him back to his apartment with the promises of more alcohol. When Howlett passed out, Nielsen attempted to strangle him. Um, However, unlike previous killings, Howlett actually woke up and they fought. Um, But Nielsen got the upper hand and strangled him again. Thought he was dead he kept breathing so he strangled him again um, and I think eventually he had to grab him and drown him in the bathtub because I think he, he tried strangling him three times and he just wouldn't die so that he then needed to drown him.
1: You know, Nielsen describes uh, this as quite a traumatic event because it's the, I think it's the only time he felt truly threatened himself. I think all the other times the guys were so like boozed out that they didn't pose like a, a physical threat to him. Or I think in many cases they were asleep whilst he's... Yeah, well that's them. true. That's um, yeah, so I boozed it out. But yeah, like,
0: yeah, yeah, and 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 I think that must ruin the fantasy, which is probably why it's so shocking. Because this fantasy is like, oh, he's just he's just dis-, you know like like the grandfather, he just disappeared, uh, he went to sleep and disappeared. Um, that's ruined when you've got someone actually fighting for their life. Um, Since he didn't have a bonfire, Nielsen dissected the body. Um, He deliberately cut off all the soft tissue that he could and flushed it down the toilet. Um, Things that were too chunky or large bones, he put in plastic bags, which he would then dispose in various locations. As Sam said, um, he had a technique. Um, of boiling the heads and that was because that would get a lot of the soft tissue away from the skull um, so that he could flush those down the toilet and he would be able to crush the skull down um, to decompose to dispose of that as well
1: on the topic of you know basically being like neck and neck of your neighbor in these like uk um apartments imagine this all going on like upstairs like yeah i thought he was into some thought he was doing some sculpting
0: this is one of those things though. Is it another one of those things where they're like that weird homosexual upstairs is making noise again. Like th- there's a yeah, cover likely. that comes, there's, there's a cover that comes from being the other, I think where people are like, ugh, I don't even want to know. Um, yeah. And that, that works to his advantage. I think there was another, a, a failed attempt at killing in the May of 1982. Nielsen, uh, met 21-year-old Carl Sotter at a pub, although I believe that they had previously hooked up in the past and they kind of got reacquainted in the pub. Um, He eventually convinced Stotter to go back to his place. Stotter passed out in a sleeping bag after drinking heavily. Um, He woke up um, after passing out to a feeling of strangulation on his neck because Nielsen was strangling him, And Nielsen said, stay still. However, from Stodder's perspective, he thought he'd gotten caught up in the cord, in the zipper of the sleeping bag, and that Nielsen was helping him. Um, He eventually went unconscious. When Stodder regained consciousness briefly, all he could remember was water and going in and out of water because Nielsen, again, had failed to successfully strangle him and so then tried to drown him in the bathtub. Um, Nielsen eventually gave up because Stodder kept coming back to life every time he tried to kill him Um, and so he put him in bed cleaned him up and when Stodder awoke he said oh you totally choked on that that sleeping bag cord and then I had to dunk you in the water um, because you were in shock um, and in fact, Stodder spent two days at Nielsen's address because he was too weak. Um, because of, I'm assuming loss of oxygen to the brain or something like brain injury. Yeah. He
1: was like, yeah. So Nielsen was like properly nursing him back to health. It's yeah. Quite, um, yeah. Quite disconcerting.
0: And eventually Stodder though, kind of put two and two together and said, wait, this makes no sense. Um, and so he ended up getting Nielsen to drive him to the train station. Stodder both went to hospital to have his, uh, have his injuries detailed and he made a report to police that was never followed up. Um, and so it's another classic case of, well, that to me is a very clear case of someone being a predator and trying to kill someone.
1: Well, yeah, well, I think I read somewhere that his statement wasn't even used. His statement was heard in court, but it wasn't used until like much later in the game. And like it wasn't factored into particular part of the sentencing or something even as a a victim when the trial was happening he wasn't seen as being particularly relevant despite this happening i get the impression that
0: stodder um had lived a quite transient life and was a bit of a substance user which may have meant that they didn't think that he was telling the truth or that they didn't really give a shit um which probably plays a role the final two murders of Nielsen occurred in 1982 and 1983. In June of 1982, Nielsen met 27 year old Graham Allen, invited him back to his place, strangled him, masturbated over the body and dissected the body for disposal. He retained bits of the bodies in bags in his uh, flat though, and flushed a bunch of them down the toilet. In January of 1983, Nielsen killed his final victim, 20-year-old Stephen Sinclair. Um, He actually roughly knew Sinclair. He was a bit of an acquaintance. He was like a friend of a friend. Um, uh, Nielsen went to, sorry, Sinclair went to Nielsen's house and they got drunk. It's the same method that we've seen all up until now. He passed out. Nielsen strangled him with a necktie um, and uh, bathed the body and slept alongside it. Um, he then tried to flush all the soft tissue in relation to Sinclair's body, cut up the body, placed it all into bags, and was storing the bags in a cupboard um, in January of 1983. It was ultimately Nielsen's uh, method of disposing of flesh and small bones by flushing them down the toilet which would ultimately be his downfall um because you're not meant to be flushing bits of body parts down a toilet and end up clogging the sewerage drains weirdly enough nielsen himself filed a complaint about the sewerage blocking up um so he (laughs) he was partially responsible i don't think about digging your own grave I don't think he... He he seemed genuinely surprised to find out that the things he was flushing down the toilet had clogged things up. He thought it was some unrelated thing. Well, look, Um, my favourite
1: part is when they came and they're like, there's like... I think the plumbers were a little bit suspicious about what they were finding, so they stopped their work. And then (laughs) I think he saw some of the bones like in the plumber's possession, and he's like, oh, it looks like someone's been flushing down their Kentucky Fried Chicken (laughs) <laughs> yeah that was his excuse laugh. but yeah these, come on dennis these,
0: these unfortunate plumbers attended the direct address and as you saw it, said they found all the. they're like what the hell is that like i can understand like right away you wouldn't necessarily say human um so they originally were like that's a bit strange talk to residents about it went back and i think like a more senior person came down and that's when they noticed something that looked distinctly like a human hand Um, And that's when they contacted the police. The police tested the flesh and said, yep, that's human. Um, And uh, they managed to know from where the piping was coming down that it was coming from Dennis's um, apartment. Now, the the policing, I'm kind of fascinated by the police perspective on this because I imagine if you're a police officer and you've noticed that, you know, there's body parts clogging the pipes, you're like, okay, this guy has, like, killed his wife or has gotten into a beef with a drug dealer. Like, it'll be one body, maybe two bodies. Um, But these three police officers walk into Nielsen's place and they're just overwhelmed with the stench of of death. Um, And originally Nielsen tried to play dumb and then one of the police officers said, don't mess about, where's the rest of the body? And then Nielsen was like okay, and then he pointed out the cupboard with the bags of the different body parts. Uh, and then one of the officers said, what's going on? And Nielsen replied, it's a long story. <laughs> um, yeah. And so... But he kind of they, a
1: long. He's like, take me back to the station. You know, I do have to get this off my conscience. He was very he, compliant.
0: And very matter-of-fact at this point. Um, and he confessed to... Well, this is an interesting thing. When he was on the way to the police station, and they asked him how many are they, how many are there, he said fifteen to sixteen. Um, however, there are only twelve confirmed murders to Nielsen's name. So, so it, he I mean, I don't a
1: few extra, or he or, lost, count. or which
0: is probably. I mean, I don't know if he's he wasn't necessarily the method of killing wasn't necessarily so methodical that i imagined that he would know exactly how many people he killed and well, 12 yeah, just, 15
1: just, yeah i mean despite keeping like relics of the victims and like dressing them up and stuff he didn't seem like a, like a trophy killer. like he took a, he didn't take a lot of pride in killing it was something that happened and that he seemed to even feel bad about so it's not like other killers we've covered where they really take pride in like notching up these numbers and
0: it's that distinction, and I think I use this term far too often in this podcast, but that distinction between a process killer and a product killer. Um, The process killer is the one that that wants the killing experience, and that's the main reason that they kill. The product killer wants the body, and Nielsen was a product killer. He wanted that pristine body for him to have. He didn't didn't like the killing business. He didn't like that they rotted away, Uh, and that violent stuff wasn't his thing. He wanted the body. Um, there was a pretty short trial considering Nielsen had confessed to everything. The only fact at issue was whether or not Nielsen was not guilty on the gra- grounds of insanity. Ultimately, the jury uh, found him guilty on uh, six counts of murder and one of attempted murder because not all of the known deaths um, went to, to the trial. In particular, a lot of the unidentified homeless um, people weren't subject to the charge because um, it, was, it was harder to create a kind of narrative for those people. Um, he was sentenced to life with a minimum of 25 years. However, in 1994, that was um, turned into a, a, a mandatory full life sentence. Um, Niel- Nielsen himself seems, seemed to be content with that. He was pretty happy to serve out the rest of his life in prison. But he he was a bit of an
1: advocate for himself, though. Like, he wasn't going to take, like, whatever prison gave him. Like, I think he tried to launch some proceedings against some guards, and he got badly... He needed 89 stitches once because he got, like, slashed in prison. So I think he wasn't very popular. He he wasn't very popular in that environment, but he did accept that this was kind of his fate, I guess. My
0: favourite one of those things is that in 2001... This is the porn, isn't it? Yeah, he made an application... Uh, because under the prison rules, he couldn't have access to gay artwork and depictions of male nudity. He wanted some gay porn. Uh, and he tried to make a, uh, an Article 3 out of the Human Rights Convention, which was all about um, freedom of expression. Uh, he tried to make a human rights complaint. Um, there is this myth that he was somehow successful in that. He wasn't. It was shut down at the first you know grounds of application. Um, so poor Nielsen didn't get his porn. Um, apparently and... he would
1: get it, but they would like cut out like the pages that were like particularly explicit. So he was probably getting like PG.
0: I think you could... <laughs> I- could have text. You just couldn't have visual. Divisions. Oh, the images.
1: Okay. It was kind of giving me yeah. like a Dolly Girlfriend magazine, like sealed section vibe. Like all the good stuff is gone. <laughs>
0: I, 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 I have no respect for this man. He's a piece of shit. But also, I love the power move of just being in a prison full of these burly macho guys and you want to have your, like, gay porn poster up on your wall. Like, there's a power move in that. On the 10th of May 2017, Nielsen was taken to York Hospital from his prison, complaining of severe stomach pains. It turns out that um, he had a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm, that occurred and he ended up passing away on the 12th of May, 2018. Reflecting on his crimes, Dennis Nielsen said this. I did it all for me, purely selfish. I worshipped the art and the act of death over and over. It's as simple as that. Afterwards, it was all sexual confusion, symbolism, honouring the quote-unquote fallen, I was honoring myself. I hated the decay and the dissection. There was no sadistic pleasure in the killing. I killed them as I would like to be killed myself. Thank you for listening to the Sinister Sissies podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Sinister Sissies. You can follow me on Twitter at Jared Bartle. That's Jared with a Y. You can follow us on Instagram at Sinister underscore Sissies. And I'd like you to consider supporting us on Patreon for extra content and early access and ad free episodes. Until next time though, stay sinister.